So today we're continuing our series on Advent. Uh, Today is Advent, a reason to believe. And the passage we're looking at today is in Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Um, I don't know if you take notes. If you do, great. If you don't, you might want to grab a pen because we're going to be going through quite a few uh, biblical references today. And uh, you may just want to write them down so you can study them later. But starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings. O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's set the scene. Nazareth in Galilee. It's possible that this little village would have been lost in history without the passage we just read. It wasn't on any major highways. wasn't near any major cities wasn't much at all. It's not mentioned in any Old Testament book or prophecy. That's one of the charges laid to Nicodemus, you know, go and search and see if any prophet came out of Galilee. Um, Main daily activities surrounded around farming, shepherding, cooking, cleaning, raising children, you know, life. In our time, as I was thinking about this, think of McNeil, or even better, maybe Harwood. Very small community, important to the people that are there. Life goes on there, as normal. And yet 50, 100, 2,000 years from now, will anybody know the names of McNeil or Harwood? Then you have Mary, who's a young teenage girl, betrothed to Joseph. 
Um, it's something similar to our modern engagement, except it was much stricter. Being betrothed to someone was almost like being married to them, except you didn't live with them yet. So to break a betrothal, you know, our engagements can be broken pretty easily. One of the two says, I want to do this, and you walk away. Betrothal required something almost like divorce or even death to break. So she had a husband. And I'm sure she's looking forward to life with her husband. Her world consisted of helping mom around the house, helping with brothers and sisters, doing her chores, learning what it was going to mean to be a wife and a mother. I'm sure she was excited, maybe a little, had a little trepidation about her upcoming marriage. But that's the world we're in. Nothing extraordinary. It's life as normal. I'm pretty sure an angel showing up with the kind of announcement Gabriel made never entered Mary's mind. And yet, reading again Luke 1, verses 28 and 29, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. <clears throat> we don't know where Mary was when Gabriel showed up. But it's a pretty sure bet. You know, Luke kind of condenses the narrative. It's a pretty sure bet. It was a little disconcerting. I mean, think about it. If you're in her place, Right? You're going about your daily business. Nothing really special going on. And then all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up and starts telling you that you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. Um, think about the sermon that Brad preached last week. Now, if you're a devout Jew in Israel at the time, an angel showing up at the temple talking to the priest, one of the priests, it's a little out of the ordinary, but you wouldn't find it all that weird, right? Because it's the temple. He's a priest. That's where angels are supposed to show up. But to teenage girls in unknown towns, Angels aren't supposed to show up to people like that. So I can imagine Mary is very confused. Right? I would be. <clears throat> I, if it happened to me, I'd, I'd think I was seeing things. I'd think I was hallucinating. Right? Of course, Mary's troubled. Now, in that trouble, like most angelic appearances throughout the Bible, what's one of the first things an angel tells whoever they're appearing to? Don't be afraid. That's really going to help, <laughs> isn't it? You know, angel shows up in front of me and says, don't be afraid. I'm like, oh, sure, right? But the angel said to her, again, don't be, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
Now, in Hebrew, that name is Yeshua. What we translate is Joshua. That means God is salvation. So the Hebrew name of our Savior means God is salvation. And it says that he will be great and called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, I'm not real sure how this calmed Mary, right? He says, do not be afraid, and then immediately tells her, you're going to conceive and give birth to the Son of God. Oh, boy. I mean, honestly, look at me. Do I have a clue what it means to give birth? New. No. Not a clue, right? But even I know that if an angel shows up to a teenage girl that isn't married yet and tells her she's going to have a baby, there's going to be some questions, right? There's going to be still some, you told me not to be afraid, but now you've scared me even more. And not only are you going to give birth to the Messiah, but he is going to reign on the throne of his ancestor David. So Gabriel is telling Mary that her son is going to fulfill the covenant that God made with David, that he would have someone on his throne reigning forever. But the one saving grace in all of this for Mary is the phrase, God is with you. Because all of this is being done in the power of God. And think about that phrase, God is with you. Because it occurs throughout the Bible, and we're going to take a look at that today. But we look at that phrase and we go, God, that's great, God, yes, God, with me, that's wonderful. But you know the word in there that's the most important of all is that four little word, with. Because there is so much packed into that little word. the relationship God has with his people, that God had with his people from the beginning, that God will have with his people in eternity, is in that one little word, with. If you remember from Genesis, God was, excuse me, I'm about to fall here. God was with Adam and Eve in the garden. In Genesis 1.8, it tells us, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Now Genesis 1.8 also tells us, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Why? Because they had just sinned. So in the garden of Eden, after man sins, God is there, man is there, but they're now separated by man's sin. They aren't walking together anymore. And the remainder of Genesis, of the book of Genesis, is a story of God preparing a people for himself. Right? To bring up a people in Exodus, God rescued his people from slavery. 
Genesis goes through the patriarchs, it goes through Joseph. We get to the end of Genesis, and where are the people? They're in Egypt. And where does Exodus start? The people are still in Egypt, but now they're slaves. And God is still with his people, though. He rescues them from slavery in Egypt, but this time he does it through a mediator, Moses. So you still have God, and you still have the people, but now you've got a go-between. So God tells Moses something. Moses goes and tells the people. The people respond to Moses, and Moses goes and talks to God, right? But even so, in Exodus 13, 21 and 22, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. God was still with his people, even though they're separated because of their sin. It is the story of God without. Now, let me explain real quick. Most of the time when we hear the word without, we think of a lack. We're lacking something. We're missing something. Without also has another meaning. It means outside of, right? We're sitting in our church. Our cars are without. They're outside. This is the story of God with his people, but separated from them by sin. And yet he's still with them. There's that word with again. Now once the tabernacle was built, right? if you read Exodus, the last half of Exodus is talking about the building of the tabernacle. What happened when the tabernacle was built? Exodus 40, 30 through 34 through 38, it tells us, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all of their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire now move into the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle of God. God is with his people. But still, you have the mediator in Moses. So later in their history, once they get to the promised land, and, and again, we're, we're taking a quick tour through the Old Testament, right? But you go from Exodus all the way to 1 Kings. There's a lot of history there. But Solomon builds a temple for God in Jerusalem. Up until that time, right, they still had the tabernacle. And through all the ins and outs and moving and in the promised land and everything, there never was a temple. And if you remember, David wanted to build one, and God said, no, your son's going to build it for me. So Solomon builds the temple. And in 1 Kings 8, 6 through 11, I'm not going to read the entire passage, but they bring the Ark of the Covenant into the temple and place it in the Holy of Holies. And what happens? That same cloud of glory 
that descended on the tabernacle descends on the temple. And the priests cannot fulfill their duties because the glory of the Lord fills the temple. I would have loved to have been there. Oh my gosh, to see the glory of God fill the temple to the point to where you can't even go in. And now we have even more mediators. In Exodus, we had Moses. Now we've got the priests. God is still with his people. God is in the temple. That is where God dwells with man. But he's still separated because man is still sinful. And you have new mediators now, right? You have the priests. And later on in the Old Testament, you have even more mediators. You have the prophets coming to tell the people, hey, this is what God said. This is what you're doing. Something's not connecting here. That is the history of the Old Testament. God with his people, but separated from them because of their sin. He is the God without. And then we come to our passage today. Luke 1 again. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. What is he telling Mary? He's telling Mary that the son she is going to bear is the mediator we could never provide. He's telling her that God himself will now be our mediator. God in the Old Testament was with his people but separated. He was the God without. God now becomes God with us by becoming one of us. He becomes human to go through everything a human goes through. He gets tired. He gets hungry. Right? He feels pain. All of those things that our bodies feel in need, he experiences. But he also knows the emotions. He knows love, he knows joy, he knows sadness, he knows grief, he knows anger. All of the emotions we experience, he knows loneliness, he knows them. Because he is us. And yet he knows them in a way we never will in this life. Because he is not just us. He is also God. So we have God among us. We have someone who is better than Moses. If you remember, Moses told the people, God will raise up a prophet like me. 
Well, in the book of Hebrews, in, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, it says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him to appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Moses led the people out of slavery in Egypt to an earthly promised land. Jesus leads his people out of slavery to sin to a heavenly promised land. Jesus is a far better Moses. Moses was a servant in the house of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Not only that, He's our perfect high priest, offering the perfect sacrifice none of the temple priests could ever offer. Again, in Hebrews chapter 4, and this is a real, real long passage, and again, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it starts off with, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. I'm sorry, this is Hebrews 4:14 4, through 5:10. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And it ends by saying, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus not only knows our physical needs and our physical wants and our physical ailments, and he not only knows our emotional needs and our emotional wants and our emotional problems, Jesus knows what it means to die. Everybody in this church, at some point in their life, is going to meet Jesus. Now, praise God, if he comes back in the next five minutes, we're going to meet him in the air. And I'm all for that. But if he doesn't, one day, we too will die to this world. And we will meet Jesus. Jesus knows what it means to suffer and die because he was God with 
us as one of us. And the wonderful thing about it is, through His resurrection, He's now standing at the right hand of the Father, mediating for us at this very moment. The perfect mediator that we could never provide is in heaven mediating on our behalf. Thank God for that. And then Mary ends all this. Now, again, if I'm Mary, I'm thinking, what's going on? You know, first of all, you're telling me some crazy stuff. Secondly, I'm not married yet. And she's still kind of thinking in the way, you know, Brad talked about last week how God could let things happen naturally with Zechariah and Elizabeth. There's no natural with Mary. The Son of God is not going to be born by natural means, right? And so she's still kind of trying to process this. You know, how's this going to happen? And yet, through all of that, what is Mary's final response? Luke 1.38, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know, I talked about Jesus was, was born as one of us and lived as one of us and died as one of us. And if the story ended there, it would be a, a heck of a story. It would be a wonderful story, right? But the story didn't end there. Jesus was resurrected from the dead three days after he was buried. And because he was resurrected and because he ascended back to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit as he promised in John chapter 14, verses 18 through 26. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the words that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. We now have the God within. At the beginning, it was the God without, separated by man from sin. And then Jesus was born. 
And it's God with us as one of us. And now that Jesus has been resurrected and ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit has come down. And we have God within us. We have the Holy Spirit in us if we believe. And he's mediating on our behalf from within us. He's helping us. He's giving us the power of God to be the people that God wants us to be. Romans 8, 1 through 14, again, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I think most of us know how that starts off. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. From a God that was separated by his people with sin, to a God who became one of us, to a God who is now within, and we are no longer separated from God by sin because that God was born and lived and died and was resurrected and ascended into heaven. And ultimately, again, if the story ended there, it would be enough for me to know that God loves me enough that he came to earth to be born as one of us, to give us the chance to be reconciled to God, to be in relationship with God again, to be able to say my sin doesn't keep God away from me anymore but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there because here is our ultimate hope. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. All of this, all of this, and so much more, are contained in that very short greeting that Gabriel gave to Mary, in that very short explanation. I kind of think Luke maybe condensed some things, to get to the gist of the matter. But it really doesn't matter because what we have is God's word. And in those words of the Son of God being born to Mary, we have all of God's plan of salvation right there. So how does all this land? Where do we end up with this? I think it lands in a single sentence. 
God without was born God with to be God within so we may live with God eternally. But it does require something more. Again, if that was the end of the story, it'd be a, a, it's the most wonderful story on the face of the earth. The story of Christmas is one of the most amazing stories ever. But it doesn't end there. Because it requires something else. It requires us to respond the same way Mary did. Because how did Mary respond? Mary, how many people know the, the hymn, Mary, Did You Know? Okay. How many people like me have went, yeah, she knew, Gabriel told her. Right? She heard the words Gabriel said. But did she know at that moment what Gabriel was telling her? When we witness to somebody, when we proclaim the gospel, when we tell people about Jesus Christ and a God who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for our sins, who was resurrected three days later to promise us eternal life, when we tell them that story, they hear the words. But what does it take to get them down here? It takes faith. It takes belief. It takes us saying, God, yes, I believe what you're saying. Yes, I believe you did that for me. Thank you for doing that for me. It takes the response that Mary had at the very end. Mary's going, I have no clue what's going on. I don't know everything you're telling me. But this thing I do know, I know God, and I believe. And everything you've said, let it happen the way you've said, because I have faith that God knows what he's doing. That's what it takes beyond just hearing the story and hearing the word and reading the Bible. I have a son who has read the Bible multiple times. Doesn't have a clue what it says. Not a clue. God had a plan from the very beginning. And that plan is encapsulated and contained in everything that Gabriel said to Mary. And that plan is still alive and working today if we just have faith in the Son of God. Advent is truly a season to believe. Would you bow in prayer with me?